0: In this episode of Flying Smarter, I'll talk about why New York's LaGuardia Airport has had such a horrible reputation and why that may be a thing of the past. Then, for the main segment, I'll get into part two of our two-part series on seat selection. Welcome to episode 24 of Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel to help you become a smarter and savvier traveler. In this episode, I'll start off as usual with the air travel question and the fun fact bit before continuing on about seat selection. The main segment on seat selection is the second part of a two-part series, so if you haven't listened to the last episode yet, which is episode 23, you may want to go do that first. Now, let's get started. Why does New York's LaGuardia Airport have such a bad reputation? For many years, LaGuardia Airport in New York has been considered one of America's worst airports. Both Joe Biden and Donald Trump have famously used the term third world to describe the facility. The bad reputation isn't just in common discourse either. A 2017 study found that people were less satisfied with their experience at LaGuardia than any other large or medium North American airport. Complaints included things like cramped spaces, dim lighting, low ceilings, poor cleaning and maintenance, and much more. If you've flown through LaGuardia Airport before the improvements I'm about to discuss, you probably know what I'm talking about. So, why was this the case? Well, we can answer this in part by looking at a problem that exists for many airports across America. Airports in the United States are generally owned and operated by local governments, LaGuardia Airport is owned and operated by the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, who also own and operate Newark Airport, which also doesn't have the best reputation. Ownership by these public authorities means that airports are run in the same way as train stations are run, and they're considered to be public assets that aren't really supposed to be profit-driven. While it might be a good thing that any money they do make has to be reinvested into the facility, the problem is that they don't bring in nearly enough revenue to make the necessary improvements and the infrastructure and the services are therefore often subpar. I actually spent an entire main segment talking about airport ownership and how airports make money in episode 14, so go check that out if you want to learn more. If you've flown through LaGuardia recently though, you may know that the airport's reputation is changing. LaGuardia has made some major improvements lately. In 2020, a beautiful new Terminal B opened. The former Terminal B was built in 1964 and not much had changed since then. The new building, however, is much different, with bright modern spaces and public art displays including a water feature and a 25,000 square foot mural. In June 2022, a new Terminal C opened after a $4 billion renovation project. The facility went from one of the worst to one of the best, receiving an international award for architecture and design. In terms of the passenger experience, all that's left of the former LaGuardia Airport is Terminal A, or the Historic Marine Air Terminal, which has less than 10 gates. With the new passenger infrastructure, it looks like LaGuardia's horrible reputation may be a thing of the past. Did you know that you can see where babies are seated on Japan Airlines' seat maps? Japan Airlines has a feature on their seat selection screens where they'll display a child icon on seats where there is a child between eight days and two years old seated there. If you're curious about what it looks like, I'm going to post a photo of the baby or child icon on a seat map, on the flying smarter facebook and instagram stories as well as on our twitter feed in the coming week after the publication of this episode so be sure you're following the podcast on social media to see that in the last episode of flying smarter episode 23 i did part one of this two-part series on seat selection I talked about things like whether or not you should pay for seat selection and how you can consider different seat products when looking at your flight options. There's still a lot more to cover though, like how we can find out more about the seat product when we're booking or selecting a seat, or how do we know which seats on the plane are the best ones? Well, I'll go over all that and much more in today's main segment. When it comes to seat selection you first and foremost need to find out what type of plane you're flying on. When you're viewing your flight options, the aircraft type will generally be listed alongside the flight information. This information will also usually be on the flight itinerary that you receive after you book, and you can usually see it as well when you go to manage your booking online. If you're able to view seat availability when booking, or if you're selecting your seat, the seat type will usually also be displayed somewhere on that page as well. Once you have this information, there are some different things that you can look into. I'll start with talking about how you can learn more about the physical seat product that you'll be flying on, and then go into how you can find the best seats on a plane. Let's say you're flying on American Airlines in Economy class, which the airline calls Main Cabin. You've seen that your aircraft type is the Airbus A319, which is a narrowbody jet that seats around 130 passengers. Now you can go to the Airlines page about the aircraft, How to get to this page depends on the airline website, but you'll usually find it under a section of the website titled aircraft, or fleet, or our planes, or seat maps, or something like that. Most airlines have seat maps and some sort of information about what you can find on each plane. If you can't find it by navigating through the website, you can always just google something like American Airlines fleet or American Airlines seat maps. With American Airlines, the information is currently listed on a page called planes under the travel information section of their website. As of the time of publication of this episode, American actually doesn't have seat maps for their planes on this page, and you have to be in the booking process or on the seat selection page to view the seat map. They do however have some information about each of their aircraft types. Under the Airbus A319, there are currently two versions listed. They have almost identical information with the same number of seats, Wi-Fi, and power available. However, one version has seatback entertainment screens, and the other type doesn't. This means that on some of the Americans' Airbus A319s, each passenger will have a personal screen on the back of the seat in front of them, and on other Airbus A319s, passengers won't have these. In this case, there isn't a way of definitively telling which type of seat you'll be on the one with the seatback screen, or the one without. At around the time of publication of this episode, American operates flights between Miami and Bogota, Columbia with Airbus A319s and it looks like these flights are operated by planes with seatback entertainment screens. American also operates flights between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia with Airbus A319s but the planes used on these routes are generally the ones without the screens. When booking though, You'll see that the seat map looks the same and neither the flights between Miami or Bogota or the flights between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia have seatback entertainment listed under the available amenities. This is likely so that even if you book a flight between Miami and Bogota where American regularly uses the A319s with seatback entertainment, they don't actually promise it to you when you book and they can use the planes without seatback entertainment on that route if needed. So if you're flying on an American Airlines Airbus A319, you unfortunately won't be able to know for certain if you're going to get a plane with or without the seatback entertainment screens. If you're curious about how I found out that the Miami to Pagoda flights have been getting the planes with the screens, while the Pittsburgh to Philadelphia flights haven't, I used some publicly available data to see if the specific planes flying on those routes are configured with the screens or not. I don't have time to go into all of it here, but if you're interested in the details, including the tools I used, feel free to reach out to me on social media or via the Flying Smarter website. Now I just gave you an example of a situation where you might not be able to get all the details that you want about your seat, so now let me give you one where you can get more information. Delta calls their long-haul business class product Delta One. Delta One is available on some domestic flights as well. Delta actually has six different physical products that they call Delta One. As of the time of publication of this episode, if you go onto Delta Airlines' webpage for Delta One, you'll see a fairly general description that says that there are lie-flat seats, chef-curated meals, priority services, and a few other things as well. This information is written to cover all 6 types of Delta-1 seats, and so there isn't much reference to the fact that there are different products aside from a few asterisks saying that the seat configurations can vary, and a note that sliding doors are only available on certain aircraft types. I won't spend the time to go through all 6 types, but to give you an overview... They range from mini-suites with sliding doors on Delta's Airbus A330-900 aircraft and most of their Airbus A350 aircraft, to lie flat seats in a 2-2 configuration on some of Delta's Boeing 757 aircraft. To further illustrate how complex things can get, you might have noticed that I said quote unquote most Airbus A350 aircraft have sliding doors this is because Delta currently operates a small number of second-hand Airbus A350s that feature a different product inherited from another airline. As of the time of publication of this episode, Delta uses these planes on flights between Atlanta and Dublin, Ireland, and between Atlanta and Santiago, Chile. Now, All these seats are lie flat, and they feature entertainment screens, so they meet the broad description provided on the Delta One webpage, but in reality, there are a number of different types of Delta One products. How can you find out more about which one you'll be on? Well, if you look at Delta seat maps on their website, you can get some hints. The Delta One suites with doors are drawn that way, with the little grey outline around the seat. When you're booking on Delta and preview available seats, there's actually a small picture of the type of Delta-1 seat for that flight, although these may not be completely accurate. There are also some third-party websites out there that have outlined the different types of Delta-1 seats, as well as which types of planes have which ones. These sources often have more details than what the airline will tell you, so they can be super helpful. Just keep in mind that the information you're reading online may not be completely up to date. The other tool that you can use is a website called SeatGuru. I'll talk more about SeatGuru later on, but it's basically a website that provides seat maps and other information on different seats. You can go to the Delta Airlines section of SeatGuru, find the type of plane that you'll be flying on, and get a bit more information about the type of Delta 1 seat that you'll have. So now that we've covered the physical products, how do we know which seat we should actually choose? If you've booked yourself on American Airlines main cabin on the Air 319, or in a Delta-1 seat, which ones should you pick on the seat map? Well, let me start with a few general tips, and you may remember some of these from the time that I talked briefly about seat selection in episode four. If you're a bit of an uneasy flyer and are always a little bit paranoid about safety, you may be interested to know that your chances of surviving in the highly unlikely event of a plane crash are slightly better if you sit towards the back of the plane. If you don't like turbulence, seats near the middle of the plane over the wings or toward the front of the plane tend to provide a little bit more of a smoother ride. If you want to get off the plane as soon as possible after a landing because you're trying to make an event or you're trying to catch a connecting flight for example, then you'll usually want to select a seat towards the front of the aircraft. If the plane has two aisles, the left aisle tends to also move a little bit faster than the one on the right because the door will be on the left. If you're traveling in a group of two people, and the seats come in sets of three like in a 3-3 configuration, one thing that you can do is select the two outside seats, so the window seat and the aisle seat, and hope that the middle one stays empty, which will give you more space. And if someone does end up getting seated in the middle seat, they will almost always be willing to switch spots with one of you so that they can get either a window or aisle seat and then you get to sit with your travel companion. If you're looking for a bit of extra leg room, a seat in the emergency exit row or the bulkhead row might be a good idea for you. A bulkhead row is a row of seats that is directly behind a wall, which means that there's a wall in front of you instead of a seat. Like emergency exit rows, bulkhead rows generally have additional legroom. These rows do have some downsides though. For example, you can't put anything under the seat in front of you because there isn't one. If the plane has seatback entertainment screens, your screen may be out of arm's reach on the bulkhead wall or stored in the armrest, which means that it has to be put away for takeoff and landing. Also keep in mind that you might have to pay extra for seats that have more legroom depending on the airline. Some exit rows also have limited recline, but what I'm about to talk about next will help you avoid those seats. As promised, I want to talk a bit more about SeatGuru now, and for the record, this isn't being sponsored by them or anything like that. SeatGuru is a fantastic website that provides information about specific aircraft seating configurations. You can put your flight details into the website and it will provide you with the seat map or you can manually select your airline and aircraft type if you're using the feature where you enter your flight details it's a good idea to double check with the airline's website to make sure that SeatGuru has the correct aircraft type and the correct seat map another thing to be careful of is the fact that some airlines will have multiple seating configurations for a given aircraft type for example Lufthansa currently has three different seating configurations for its Airbus A340-300s. To ensure that you're looking at the right one on SeatGuru, you can compare their seat map on there to the one provided by the airline when you go to select seats for your flight. To spot differences between different configurations, you can look at things like the number of rows, configurations around the lavatories and the galleys, and the number of seats in the different classes of travel. Once you're confident that you're looking at the correct map on SeatGuru, you'll see that there are color-coded seats on the map. Most of the seats will probably be white, which means that they're normal seats, but you'll also see ones that are red, green, yellow, or a mix of green and yellow. The colors are pretty self-explanatory, and there's a legend as well. If you hover over each seat, it will provide you with some information. For example, a seat might be green if it has extra legroom, a seat might be yellow if it's right beside a lavatory, and a seat might be red if it has limited or no recline or is missing a window. SeatGuru is a great tool to help you when you're selecting a seat, but it also sometimes does not have complete information because it relies at least partially on user-provided data. You can submit comments on seats and photos of the plane to help other travelers. For example, I once flew on a plane in a window seat where the window was missing. It wasn't noted on SeatGuru at the time, so I submitted that information to the website. I want to wrap up with a few miscellaneous thoughts. Sometimes, you'll find that if you've booked a co-chair or interline flight, you won't be able to select your seats with the booking or marketing airline. If these terms are confusing to you, check out episode 17 where I explain how to tell who is actually operating your flight and why it matters. But let's say you book with airline A, and your flight is operated by airline B. You may have to go to airline B's website to select your seats. In some cases, you can use the same booking reference or confirmation number for both airlines, but sometimes you'll have been given a second one for airline B. If you do get given one of these at any point, make sure you note it down for future use. You should also keep in mind that seat selections and seat assignments are not always guaranteed. When you book a flight, you're subject to what's known as the airline's contract of carriage. You can consider the contract of carriage as the fine print that you agree to that governs your relationship with the airline. An airline's contract of carriage will typically include something that says seating assignments are not guaranteed and that they can be changed by the airline. Generally speaking, an airline's obligation is to get you from point A to point B in a reasonable amount of time, and providing you with a specific seat isn't typically included in this obligation. This means that airlines can change your seat assignment. That being said, if you've paid for a seat and are moved to an inferior seat or are downgraded, you'll generally be able to get a refund, either as outlined in the contract of carriage or or as a matter of policy or customer service. And of course, if you've picked a seat and or have paid for a seat, the airline isn't just going to move you unless they need to do so for some reason, like in the event of an equipment change where the type of aircraft has changed. Your seat could be changed on the day of the flight, but it could also happen beforehand, so it's worth checking in advance of your flight to ensure that the plane type and seating arrangements haven't been changed if you select a seat in advance. If you do end up getting moved to an inferior seat on the day of, keep in mind that refunds and compensation typically happen after your flight. If the gate agents are busy, just remember to be kind to them as whatever the problem is most likely isn't their fault or within their control. If the aircraft has been swapped to a smaller type, there's even a good chance that some of your fellow passengers have been bumped and the airline staff will be busy trying to help them. In any case, make sure you document what happened so that you can submit the information to the airline to request a refund after the flight if you're entitled to one. All that being said, chances are you're going to end up in the seat that you've selected. I hope that what I've shared in this two-part series on seat selection will help guide your decision-making about seat selection in the future, whether your goal is to save money, sit with your travel companions, or simply avoid the middle seat and those red, undesirable seats on SeatGuru. You know, I'm constantly reminded that air travel can often be unpredictable, and so with flying smarter, One of the things that I'm trying to do with this podcast is to help listeners be better prepared for when things don't go as planned. Even something as simple as sitting closer to the front of the plane if you want to get off first isn't always a guarantee. I was recently on a flight where they deplaned passengers using only a rear door. In this case, passengers sitting at the front of the plane in business class were actually the last ones to get off. So whether it's having an understanding of what's going on behind the scenes, or knowing what your options are when something goes wrong, having more knowledge about how things work will make your flying experience less stressful and more enjoyable. That brings us to the end of this episode of Flying Smarter. Please take a minute and follow us on social media, where you'll be able to find things like podcast updates and sneak peeks. It's also where I'll be posting a picture of what the baby icon looks like on a Japan Airlines seat map. Flying smarter is on Facebook and Instagram at flying smarter and on Twitter at flying underscore smarter. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you again soon.